millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When the tubby and unprepossessing Kim Jong-un took over from his dead dad as leader of North Korea 11 years ago, some commentators thought he'd last months. But he's still there, and so is his regime. The place has not changed fundamentally. It's still a cruel dictatorship, underwritten by the constant threat of violence. But it is, in superficial ways, more fun than it used to be. A bit more fun, a lot more missile launches, and yet more international sanctions aimed at stopping Kim's bomb. The simple question is, why would Kim Jong-un give up nuclear weapons? It's hard to see what that reason would be. He's the man with his finger on the big red button. So what do we need to know about Kim III of North Korea? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, a decade of Little Rocket Man. By the kind of standards that modern Western states apply to themselves and the way that most societies measure success, North Korea is a grim broken place and a desperate failure. Richard Lloyd Parry is Asia editor for The Times. He's been reporting on North Korea for 27 years and has visited the country a number of times. They can't feed themselves. They are isolated. They cut off from the rest of the world. Healthcare is desperate. Hospitals are undersupplied. Children grow up malnourished. National incomes are very low, and human rights are virtually non-existent. Looking at it like that, it's a terrible place and a terrible failure. But in order to understand it and to understand Kim Jong-un, you have to look at it from his point of view. And you have to put aside all questions of human rights, justice, fairness, equality, and prosperity. Because Kim Jong-un doesn't care about any of those things. And to judge Kim Jong-un for not being a Gorbachev or an F.W. de Klerk is to completely miss the point. Kim Jong-un has completely different goals and strategic ambitions from them. His goal in life is to die peacefully in his bed in old age, as his father and his grandfather did before them. It's all about lasting the course and holding on to power in this hostile world. 
And by that measure, Kim Jong-un has been remarkably successful. With his floppy hair and babyish features, Kim Jong-un was subject to ridicule when the politically inexperienced 27-year-old took over North Korea in December 2011. At the time, many hoped Kim Jong-un would lead the country into a new era, one that would open the reclusive nation and its economy to the world. Since he came to power, Kim Jong-un has generated many headlines, but his country is in crisis with the economy crippled by sanctions and strict border closures to prevent the spread of coronavirus. When it came to foreign policy, he's played a poor hand well. His pursuit of nuclear weapons put his tiny, impoverished country at the centre of the world stage. Kim Jong-un has been in power just over 10 years, and I don't think he has ever been in a stronger or more powerful position. It's very difficult to see into the, the halls of power in Pyongyang, almost impossible for anyone, I think, outside the country. But from what we can tell, he has no domestic challenges to his power. He's seen off anyone else who might conceivably have challenged him. And internationally, he is the supreme leader of a nuclear power. He's extremely isolated in the world, but there's very little that the rest of the world can do about his nuclear arsenal, his ballistic missiles, and they represent a deterrent to any attempt to dislodge him by force and an insurance policy like no other. In the article that you wrote about it, there was this sense, and it was certainly conveyed very much in the photographs, and I wonder if it's conveyed with other stuff coming out of North Korea, that here's a guy who's actually having quite a good time. We don't have many sources of information about him. We have the state media, which of course is predictable in the way it writes about him, adulatory. But we do more and more, and they're available online, have videos, films of him going about his business, greeting North Koreans, visiting industrial sites, giving advice. And we've seen a lot of Kim Jong-un in the flesh, and he gives the impression of being a man who really loves his job. His father, Kim Jong-il, was in many ways a shy, rather difficult, retiring man who clearly wasn't comfortable in the public gaze. But Kim Jong-un, from what you can see, loves nothing more than going out, kissing babies, squeezing the rosy cheeks of school children, and being surrounded by girls who are all cheering for him and wanting to get up close to him. And you've noticed something about his physical appearance. He's lost a dramatic amount of weight, and this has been much noted on, really just in the last year, year and a half. At various points, Kim Jong-un has disappeared from public view. He stops appearing in the state media. He stops being on TV. There are no longer reports of him doing things. And at first, when this started happening, people used to speculate, well, what's happened? Is he sick? Has he died? Has there been some kind of putsch against him? But now it's happened often enough that we can confidently say he's just off somewhere doing his own thing. And earlier last year, he disappeared for a stretch of several weeks and came back having shed really a great deal of timber and looking a lot better for it. Somebody made observations about the watch that he habitually wears, and you can see that he'd taken it up a couple of notches. Even his wrists were, were thinner. South Korean intelligence 
calculated that I think he used to weigh 140 kilos, 22 stone, and he was down several stone on that. My speculation is that he finally started listening to his doctor's advice. And and if that's the case, he will actually be feeling a lot better, won't he? When he first came out of his confinement, when he'd shed all this weight, he was looking very serious. And they actually made a feature of it in the state media. I remember seeing an interview with an old man who was talking about these reports. And was saying that he felt terribly bad that the supreme leader had been so worried about caring for his people that he'd lost all his weight. Now, we don't have to take that at face value, but (laughs) what it does show is that the powers that be had decided to draw attention to this. The other interpretation of it is that it relates to chronic food insecurity. North Korea at the moment and for years has been physically incapable of producing enough food to feed all its own people. There's always a shortfall. In the 1990s, there was a terrible famine which killed as many as a few million people. People were literally dropping dead in the streets. Now, nothing as bad as that has happened under Kim Jong-un, but there has been a bad harvest this year. He, in his speeches, has referred to concerns about food, about agriculture. So one of the messages he may be wanting to send with his new svelte figure is that even he is suffering, and like his people, he doesn't have as much on his plate as he used to. Literally, (laughs) there is belt tightening going on. Kim's time in power has not gone as the experts predicted. In Pyongyang, tears for their supreme leader. North Koreans lined up to mourn the death of Kim Jong-il, laying flowers at a monument to him. The announcement on North Korean state television sent the world diplomatic community scrambling. You know, at the time, I remember when his father, Kim Jong-il, died very suddenly in December 2011. And it was big news and everyone wondered what would come next. The most respected North Korea experts in the rest of the world, almost to a man, were predicting that he wouldn't last very long. I mean, there's, for example, a very respected scholar and former diplomat called Victor Cha. And he wrote very soon after Kim Jong-un's succession that North Korea, as we know it, is over. It seems very calm, but I think this is actually a very, very big moment. Only a few days ago, if you had asked any analyst of North Korea what would be the most likely condition under which the North Korean regime could fall apart, I think the number one answer would have been sudden death of Kim Jong-il. And that's where we are today. He said whether it comes apart in the next few weeks or over several months, the regime will not be able to hold together. It couldn't be clearer, and that was over 10 years ago. It's been an assumption of successive Western governments that by some kind of laws of politics that North Korea shouldn't survive and it can't survive. Let's now go right the way back and talk about the world that Kim Jong-un was born into and the family that he was born into. Kim Jong-un is the youngest son of Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il was himself the son of Kim Il-sung, who is the Second World War hero, resistance fighter against the Japanese, who became North Korea's first founding leader. So he is a princeling. He comes from the Kim dynasty. But he was chosen above two older brothers for personal qualities that his father saw in him. We don't know with certainty 
when he was born. We, my belief is it was probably 1983 in Pyongyang. But the official literature and the state media are vague on that. He spent his childhood in Pyongyang, from what we know. We have very few sources on him, of course. Those that we have are bizarre. One of them is the eccentric American basketball player, Dennis Rodman, who became friends with him. I would take you over there and let you listen to him, the way he talks. Okay. He's, he sounds like he's, he's more of a, a kid at anything. I think he really wants to change his culture, but I think he's forced to be in this position because uh, every time I go over there, he's changed so much for the people, and people don't see that. The other, one of the best sources, is a mysterious Japanese sushi chef called Mr. (laughs) Fujimoto, who got a job as Kim Jong-il's sushi chef and knew young Kim Jong-un as he was growing up. I mean, it sounds dodgy as hell, but from what you can tell, this guy is genuine. He did actually know him. And he has reminiscences of the young Kim Jong-un growing up in the leadership complex in the center of Pyongyang, and how even as a young lad, he was very impressive. He would always take the lead over his brothers, says Fujimoto. He was always going to succeed his father. He would drive around in his toy Mercedes, which is a perfect replica of the real thing, and imperiously give orders to people like the Japanese sushi chef. And where was he educated? Well, he was educated as a boy in Pyongyang. And then when he was a bit older, when he was, I think, quite a young teenager, he was sent to Switzerland. And he ended up in, actually, funnily enough, in a Swiss state school. It was an international school, but a lot of the teaching was in German. And he, for several years, went to school there. He was passed off as the son of a diplomat at the North Korean embassy in Geneva. So he wasn't there as Kim Jong-un, but we're pretty sure that it was him. And he didn't do particularly well, didn't pick up all that much German by all accounts, but acquired a love of basketball and a fondness for Euro electropop. One of the fun facts about Kim Jong-un is that his favourite song, at least for a while, was Brother Louie, which is a a dire electro ballad. If you can remember that one, you are showing your age. (laughs) And proclivities. Now, you've said that he had two older brothers and they were shoved aside by his father. Is that right? So his father effectively designated him as the potential successor. For a long time, it wasn't clear. It only became clear, I guess it was two or three years before the succession. Kim Jong-il's oldest son, by another wife or or mistress, was a chap called Kim Jong-nam, who was an eccentric character who um, gallivanted around the world a bit. And perhaps not surprisingly, given his his temperament, he was passed over. There was also a middle brother who we don't know much about, although we know he was a fan of Eric Clapton. And according to the Japanese sushi chef, he was regarded by the father, Kim Jong-il, as a a rather ineffectual, maybe even a rather effeminate boy who didn't have what it takes. So it was Kim Jong-un who came to power and a few years into his rule, Kim Jong-nam, the kind of loose cannon older brother, was remarkably assassinated with Nazi nerve agent as he was transiting Kuala Lumpur airport. Nobody really has much doubt as to who ordered that hit. Entering Kuala Lumpur Airport in the grey suit, this CCTV appears to show Kim Jong-nam. He continues into the busy departures hall, 
where an audacious assassination is apparently about to take place. The whole thing was absolutely bizarre. Even now, it doesn't really make sense because you wonder how these assassins survived. But there were two women, massage girls, who'd been recruited by the North Korean agent and were persuaded that they were taking part in a kind of prank video who somehow smeared sarin nerve agent on their hands and walked up behind and in front of Kim Jong-nam, rubbed it in his face. And, you know, less than two hours later, he died in agony from this nerve agent. Coming up, when Kim Jong-un met the leader of the free world. Hello, I'm Jane Mulcairins, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Last year, a Turkish cult leader was sentenced to over a thousand years in jail. There is only one purpose in life, and it's love. But what happened? Everyone is ready in the world right now to believe anything. The Messiah and His Kittens. A new four-part series beginning this Friday, here on the Stories of Our Times podcast, with me, Louise Callahan, the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now, Richard, we've talked about the predictions that were made at the time that he took over. What were his early years in power like? I remember a lot of people at the time said, it'll be a while before we know what this guy's going to be like and what happens. Some people said, actually, you know, it's not going to happen quickly. You know, he may not last, but it will play out over 
a bit of time. Actually, really quite quickly, he demonstrated that he was a different kind of, of leader from his father and grandfather. One of the early signs, I remember, and this was all in, in the state media, was a report of a, a concert by a girl band, a troupe of female musicians called the Moranbong Band, which we learned had been founded by Kim Jong-un, perhaps inspired by German electropop. And they gave a concert, and there were two extraordinary things about it. One was that these young women were dressed up in costumes of Disney characters, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Mickey and Minnie and the like. Not only was it a breach of Disney's copyright, it sort of violated all the kind of contempt and execrations of American imperialist pop culture, which used to be the staple of, of North Korean rhetoric. But the other very interesting thing about it was that Kim Jong-un was accompanied by a very glamorous and by Pyongyang standards fashionably dressed young woman. We didn't know who she was at first, but we now know that she was his wife. In the past, the wives or the consorts of North Korean leaders were never seen like that, certainly not in a, a frivolous context. Richard, how does Mickey Mouse go together with despotism? This is one of the changes that has happened under Kim Jong-un. And I noticed that myself the last time I was there, which was three years ago now, that the place has not changed fundamentally. It's still a cruel dictatorship underwritten by the constant threat of violence. But it is, in superficial ways, and perhaps only in Pyongyang, which is a bit of a showcase as, as the capital city, it is more fun than it used to be. And when I was there, I mean, one of the things that you know, I experienced was that the guides who show you around, of course, you're escorted everywhere. There's no opportunity to just travel independently and to report freely. You're, you're monitored and escorted wherever you go by people who are effectively spies. But even they were more fun, and we were able to do things like go to a fun fair, that there are a lot more bright lights in Pyongyang, there are restaurants serving steak, pizza, that sort of thing. And even the guys themselves were more relaxed and less forbidding, a little bit more permissive in what they let you get away with, and even a bit more jokey. So that tells you something a bit about his ruling style, but you still need policies. You've still got to run, let's say, an economy. What has Kim Jong-un and his government done about the country's economic position? I mean, North Korea's economy officially is a communist economy. There is no private property. Everything is owned by the state on behalf of the people. And people are not paid wages for what they do. They're given a certain amount of cash, but their food and so on is provided by the public distribution system. Now, that in practice has not been true since the 1990s at the latest, when this terrible famine happened and the state distribution system broke down completely. And beginning around that time, markets sprung up. It was the only way people could survive. So in other words, people would buy things and people who worked in factories would barter this for things that they could get hold of. And that's what you know, prevented it being even worse than it was. Now, after the, the famine was brought under control, these markets continued. They were not completely snuffed out. And to simplify, the North Korean economic policy, the important decision of successive leaders has been what to do about these markets and the market mechanism. And at various times, the markets have been 
sort of tamped down without being completely crushed or allowed to flourish. And it's difficult to know often exactly what's going on because there's no free reporting and, you know, North Korean government statistics are are almost non-existent. But from what we can see, Kim Jong-un has, to some degree, allowed the market mechanism more play. Economic policy in North Korea is about how far you let that go because you want people to have enough to eat. You can see the arguments for allowing entrepreneurship. It motivates people and so on. But at the same time, you don't want it to go too far and you don't want people becoming so addicted to free markets that they want freedom in other areas. Right. Now, let's talk about the thing which, in your article, becomes quite clear is the aspect of this that may save Kim more than anything else, which is the nuclear program and the possession of nuclear weapons. Can you just very briefly take us through how the North Korean nuclear program has developed since he took power? It existed before he took power. Kim Jong-il, his father, had carried out, I think, two nuclear tests. It accelerated after he took power. But I think we can say that North Korea is a de facto nuclear power. I think most people agree that they can pretty much now lob short-range and intermediate warheads onto South Korea and Japan. The entire United States is within range of our nuclear weapons, and a nuclear button is always on my desk. And there's this possibility that they could even fire a long-range missile to North America, you know, even as far as Europe, if they chose to. This became the subject of the famous meetings between Kim and Donald Trump. Can you remind us how those happened and how they went? Donald Trump took a really a very confrontational attitude to North Korea. And towards the end of 2017, it was all getting really heated and really quite scary, certainly in this part of the world. No one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump were, were trading very personal insults. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself. Calling that a personal insult, Kim said Trump was a rogue and a gangster who's playing with fire. His foreign minister adding more fuel to the fire, threatening to test a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean. Things were building up and up and up and going in a very alarming direction. And then at the beginning of 2018, things changed. And I think they largely changed because of a turn that Kim Jong-un took. He, I think we can say, looking back now, had effectively carried out all the tests he wanted to take, was fairly confident that his ballistic missiles and nuclear warheads were you know, were in good working order and no longer needed to do any more. So he began to reach out to first to South Korea and then to Donald Trump. And this culminated in two sort of two and a half summit meetings where remarkably, you know, these two kind of cartoon characters of our age, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, came together and shook hands. We were in Japan for the G20. We came over and I said, 
Hey, I'm over here. I want to call up the Chairman Jim. And we got to meet, and uh, stepping across that line was a great honor. A lot of progress has been made. What can we say the consequence of that was? Was there actually any consequence of it? No, there wasn't really in the end. And since then, there's been no progress at all. So, I mean, one of the historical questions is, well, was it worth a try? Trump, of course, has many detractors. Plenty of people said he was fooling around, that it was a mistake to reward a thug like Kim Jong-un with the prestige of a meeting with the president of the United States. But there are those who say, well, you know, even people who don't like Trump, that it was perhaps worth a try and it wasn't a complete waste of time. Breaking news overnight, North Korea firing two ballistic missiles. This is the third launch this month. A new hypersonic ballistic missile, according to South Korea, traveling at Mach 10, 10 times the speed of sound, landing in the Sea of Japan. Beginning last October, there was a burst of tests of shorter range weapons, and this was resumed this month. And they've now carried out four separate weapons tests within the space of just about two weeks. These are short-range missiles. Some of them are hypersonic missiles, which are extremely useful and rather sinister weapons that are very good at dodging missile shields. Last week, North Korea's Politburo ordered a re-examination of the self-imposed moratorium on nuclear and long-range missile testing, which Pyongyang announced in 2018. They say it's because demands for an easing of economic sanctions have been ignored by the US. And here we arrive at the big impasse. Nuclear weapons have become North Korea's great and only bargaining chip, one which they can never afford to cash in. No, absolutely not. It is the guilt insurance policy beyond any other insurance policy. The simple question is, why would Kim Jong-un give up nuclear weapons. He has to have a reason to do that. It's hard to see what that reason would be. Perhaps if he were offered some absolutely unimpeachable promise and agreement that he would be allowed to stay in power, that sanctions would be dropped and never restored, then he might think about it. But it's really very difficult to imagine a situation where he could be persuaded of that because he doesn't trust the United States, and historically he really doesn't have a reason to trust them. I mean, successive presidents have made it clear that they don't like North Korea and they would like to see him gone. George Bush II listed him among the axis of evil, which essentially was a, a list of countries slated for regime change. So why on earth would he put himself in a more vulnerable position than he already is? Also, democratic governments change. <laughs> Policies can change. And that must be also the fear going the other way, which is we may have a significant vested interest in the West in keeping Kim Jong-un there for fear of what the alternative could conceivably be. In theory, of course, the West want freedom and democracy and free markets and elections in North Korea. But no one really has a plan for getting there, at least not one that is politically feasible at the moment. And when you look at it, all the parties involved have actually quite good reasons for North Korea remaining as it is. I mean, South Korea, let's not forget them. They have the most skin in the game. 
you know, in theory, they want their nation to be reunified. But if it was, they would face difficulties that would make the reunification of East and West Germany easy by comparison. You know, North Korea is a broken economy, many, many times smaller than East Germany was than West Germany. And you've got these brainwashed people who, you know, you've got to somehow take care of and integrate into society. So they've got good reasons for putting it off as long as possible. China is quite happy with the status quo. Any reunification of Korea would, in the end, probably involve a capitalist westernized nation along pro-American lines. So they would then have effectively the West, the United States on their border. So they're quite happy with things as they are. And even the United States, the remaining superpower, wobbly though it may sometimes seem, has got lots to worry about. Supervising the transition of power, which could be bloody, could easily involve a war, and then the kind of reconstruction of this broken society, it would make Iraq look like a doddle. Is that really something that any one US president wants to take on? It's hard to see it. Richard, one last question. In a way, it's a kind of daft question, given everything you've been talking about. But do you think he's in power as long as he wants to be in power and as long as he is alive? I am very hesitant to make predictions about North Korea. It is unpredictable. It could change very suddenly. North Korea could be trundling along in the way it has for all these years on a Monday, and by Friday, the situation completely changed. But when you look at it, how he's got on in the past 10 years, there he still is, exceeding all expectations. I mean, that has been consistent over the 27 years I've been reporting and writing on North Korea. There are plenty of imponderables. We can't see inside the leadership. So you can't rule out some challenge from within. But what you can say is that there's no sign of that whatever at the moment and no sign that it's even come close so far. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Asia editor for The Times, Richard Lloyd Parry. And you can read more of Richard's coverage at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible T-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. History. 